And I want to talk to you just for a few minutes today about that. Uh, we're into a series in Revelation. Uh, kind of a weird book, I know, to be pursuing the end of the year and just before the holidays. And I told you, Kaylee said, oh, great, the end of the world and then Merry Christmas. That's kind of where we're at. Um, but that was one of the reasons. Because in these past few months, I have heard people ask the question and ask the question to me personally. And I've seen it online. Is this the end of the world? What does all this mean? How does this fit into God's plan? And we know about Revelation, and we know that it's the last book of the Bible, and we know, uh, you know, I mean, most of you could say, well, I'm pretty sure that we win. Uh, and, and that's a good way to summarize it, but we don't actually know a lot of the details in the book of Revelation. So we are trying to cover that as best we can, uh, and we're just hitting, we're just hitting the major points. We're, we're not going to dive deep. We're just trying to kind of skim the surface and give to you the major points, and then you can look at it in depth when you are able to, and make sure that you read through the book of Revelation. It's an awesome read, but I do think this. I think that when we have a greater understanding of the second coming of Jesus, we might just be able to celebrate even better the first coming of Jesus. We might just be able to celebrate Christmas a little better with a little keener understanding and insight into the fact that he didn't just come once, he's coming again. And he's coming in victory and he is coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. And the one thing that concerns me, I'm so thrilled to have all of you here with us and so thrilled to have all of you online with us and we know that coming and connecting in this way is important but I do fear that we somehow in all of this in the opportunity that even as a pastor I had to sit in my lazy boy and connect with you on my phone and watch the service on TV and eat my pancakes and have a cup of coffee that we forget that Sometimes connecting is not necessarily enough. We have to engage. God has called us to engage with each other, but he's also called us to engage with himself in worship. And I, I don't want to pick on anybody today, but I just have a feeling there's a pretty good number of you in here that got far more excited last night to see that the University of Michigan finally has a quarterback than you did over the fact that the song they sang to wrap their program up is a part of our lives. You're already here, and I'm already home. And Paul would say, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. More Christ, that's all it means. He says, I'm already dead. I'm already gone. I'm already ready to meet the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we need to understand that part of what we do here is practice for eternity. And Revelation gives us a glimpse into that in Revelation chapter 4. And that's the only chapter we're even going to try to cover today. We're not going to try to get into depth anymore. But last week we looked at chapters 1 through 3. And we found out that John wrote, in essence, five letters. He wrote them in the later part of his life. By the time he gets to this book, Revelation, all of his friends, his apostle friends, his disciple friends, they've left the scene. They're gone. They're already home. <laughs> and he's the only one left. 
And in the Gospel of John, he writes, believe, 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 believe. And he stresses the importance of that. It's not your behavior, it's your belief. Believe in the one that God sent. Believe in Jesus Christ. Believe in the way, the truth, and the life. In the epistles of John, which is John 1, 2, and 3. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. He wasn't much into titles. He just, you know, John 1, John 2, John 3. He wrote these short epistles, and they were for the believers, the church that was right there, right then. And he says, be sure. But when he gets to Revelation, he says, be ready. Be ready. And if, if he was writing and sharing the importance of being ready 2,000 years ago, then how much more important is it that the church of Jesus Christ be ready now? And why? Why do I fear that we are so ill-prepared for what's to come? We are not preparing ourselves for worship We are not preparing ourselves for eternity. And John says it's time to get ready because the time is short. It will happen quickly. And if he said that 2,000 years ago, how much closer are we to it now? Be prepared. And so I want you to notice with me, if you would, the book of John. And before you go to John chapter 4, if, if you've got your Bible, if you've got it online, if you've got it on your phone, and let me just, let me say this too. I just, I, I have to step on your toes once in a while. If you don't have a Bible, why? When, when I say a scripture, I could just say a name of a scripture and I go, that's what it says. And some of you would be like, no, that must be what it says. But if you have it in front of you, you can look and say, wait a second. And in fact, some dear people have. They said, Pastor, do you realize you were off by a verse when you read that one? And so we get to change it in between the services. Why is it so important? Because people are dying, literally, physically dying for the word of God. We got them stacked up all over the house. We've got them right on our phone. We need to be into the word of God. I would encourage you to go to Uvert. I can't make it any simpler for you. Right here in church. You can do it while I'm talking. Y-O-U version. And you can download a copy of the Bible. Download a copy of God's word so that you have it with you. So that you can look at it and say, yeah, that's what it says. Because here's the deal. Yeah, I know I'm funny. It's just part of me. It's just who I am. I know, you know, and, and my illustrations. But can I tell you something? They don't last. They don't stand the test of time. My wife doesn't think I'm funny at all, but God's word is eternal. And the verses that we share and what Revelation says has lasted for 2,000 years and will last forever. And we can find truth and we can find relevancy even in the book of Revelation. And so I want you to notice with me, because it's interesting, all of the books of the Bible, if you were to take like a college class, if you were to go online, let's say, and decide, you know, I want to take a Bible class, or maybe you've studied and you went, studied theology, if you went to a college university, if you went to seminary, you would find that there are great scholars, great theologians who have given us outlines of every book of the Bible. And one of the things that I had to learn in Old Testament exposition and New Testament exposition the outline of the different books. 
But Revelation is the only book in the Bible where God says, here, let me give you the outline. And in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, he says, write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. John, I want you to write what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. Chapter 1 is what you've seen. Chapter 2 and 3 is what is happening now. And chapters 4 and beyond is what is to come. He gives to us an inspired outline for the book of Revelation. John, what you have seen. And John, when he sees what's happening and he sees this vision and all of a sudden there is Christ, there he is among these seven lampstands and he takes that vision with what he has experienced in his own life and he's just kind of shaking his head because there's a brilliant person right here, looks a little different than he's seen before but he recollects a resurrected Christ. He recollects a mount of transfiguration where the brilliance of Jesus was blinding to those who were on the mountaintop with him. And he says, as I looked in the midst of those lampstands, there was one who looked just like the Son of Man, looked just like Jesus. And then he heard the voice, and he reflected on how many times he had heard that voice with love, with compassion, but yet with authority. And now, even though he could recognize, he realized he was hearing a voice that, well, he hadn't heard it like this before. It resonated like the sound of trumpets. And he wrote down the description of what he saw and what he heard. And then he writes to the churches in chapters 2 and 3. to these churches, and in essence, he writes to us because we are still in the church age. And so the letter, the warning, the difficulties that those churches were having, we look at that and we can see how our church, how the church measures up to what Jesus said they needed to do. Even the first one out of the gate, the church of Ephesus, and he says, you gotta get back to your first love. You got to get back to your first. Remember how it was when you first met Jesus. He says, you've got to get back there. Get back to that first love. And so we find ourselves reading those messages and reading that letter and reading what he said to those churches and finding ourselves in the midst of them and what we need to do. And then he says, the things which are to come. And chapter four begins this phase as we are ushered into the throne room of God. Go there with me if you would. Go to Revelation chapter 4. True worship is one of the greatest needs of our lives individually and of the life of a church. We need to understand the importance of true worship. The methods change. The means change. The temple of music probably changes. But the worship, the trueness of the worship from our heart remains the same, and the need for it remains the same. We need worship. We need to understand the priority that worship has to be in our lives. We need to understand the importance of worship as it relates to us and as it relates to our relationship with God. And we are, in essence, invited to be part 
of worshiping God. And John is about to experience this in Revelation chapter 4. One of the reasons that we worship is because we truly believe that God inhabits the praise of his people. But can I tell you something that we see in Revelation? Is that worship is not just God coming down to us, but sometimes, sometimes, worship is us going to where God is. Worship is us experiencing God from his perspective. Revelation chapter four, verse one, and we will move quickly this morning. He says, after this I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I heard first speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. John is invited and then taken to the throne room of God. Can you imagine? Can you even try to put yourself in that place? John on an island by himself. He is in isolation. You talk about isolated. He experienced it like none of us ever have. And yet God chose that time to elevate him to an experience that he'd never had. To elevate him to worship that he had never had. He chose that point in time when he was isolated from everyone and everything else. The invitation came and the elevation was to come. And that's the way it is for us. The invitation is now. The invitation is us now. One of the verses that we found in Revelation 3 was that Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens the door, I will come in and have a meal with him, share fellowship with him, have communion with him, have a relationship with him. And Jesus stands at the door and he knocks and he continues knocking and he continues knocking and all we have to do is open the door. Open the door to a relationship with him. Open the door to his forgiveness. Open the door to his grace and his mercy. And he says, I will come in and I will be with you forever. The invitation is now. The elevation, well, that's to come. John was able to experience it in that moment. But many people believe that this is a precursor to what's going to happen to the church. Now, let me just tell you, I have to let you know, there are different views of exactly what the church's role is, where the church is, when the church is raptured to heaven. Different views. And we'll talk a bit about it. I must admit that what I share with you will come from my heart, from my experience, from my education, from the way that I see God's word. Paul in one section of scripture says that we are to comfort one another with these words and it just doesn't seem like much of a comfort to the church if we're supposed to live through a tribulation. But we'll get to that a little later. All we know is that someday we're going up. But right now, the invitation is for him to come down and come into our heart. 
And we need to make sure that we, 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 the church of Jesus Christ, are extending that invitation to a world that is lost without him. We have the opportunity, we have the responsibility to extend that invitation, to be an extension of Jesus, and to be inviting people to come to know him, to know his love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. We don't know when, but we get we get a glimpse, even in the Old Testament, of the throne room of God as John is being taken there. And listen to what happens. First of all, there's a guy named Daniel. Daniel experiences the throne room of God. Daniel maybe wrote more as it related to the time and the book of Revelation than anybody else in the Old Testament. He prophesied about the end times. And Daniel describes the throne room of heaven as the throne room to the ancient of days. Ezekiel, a major prophet in the Old Testament. You can read in his book as he describes his experience with the throne room of God. But the one that I want you to notice, and maybe the one that you need to hide away in your heart today, this might be the message that some of you came and you need to hear even more than anything that's in Revelation. And that is a guy by the name of, Uzi of, of Isaiah. And Isaiah writes about Uzziah. And Uzziah was the king. And in the first few chapters of Isaiah, things are going pretty well. Things are pre-coronavirus. But then in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, listen to what he says. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. You want to know something? Bad year. Bad year, 740 B.C. And Isaiah says, you know what? In this year, I saw the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah, my friend, died, I saw the Lord. I saw him seated on his throne. Can I ask you a question? Is it possible that we are so busy looking at the circumstances that surround us, looking at the difficulties that we find ourselves in personally, as a family, as a community, as a nation, as a world, that we have forgotten that even in the midst of all of the difficulty of 2020, we can see the Lord high and lifted up. We can see the Lord in his throne room. Uzziah died. That's when Isaiah sees the Lord. In the year of corona, we saw the Lord. In the year of social unrest, we saw the Lord. In the year of isolation, we saw the Lord. In the year of the pandemic, we saw the Lord. In the year of political division, we saw the Lord. In the year that they canceled March Madness, <laughs> we can still see the Lord. And is it possible, and I'm just throwing this out there, but is it possible that he wants to use this? Oh, he didn't bring it on us. But is it possible that he wants to use it to try to turn our attention towards him? In the year that Uzziah died, 
I saw the Lord. Isn't it awesome that it wasn't enough for God to come down to where Isaiah was? But in that moment, Isaiah could be lifted up to see God where he was. Don't you need that experience once in a while? Don't you need that experience once in a while? That it's just not quite enough for God to come down. Oh, it's awesome, and it's what we need, and he has done it on time and time again, but sometimes we need to be elevated, don't we? And what is it that does that? It is our worship. Our worship that elevates us to see things from the perspective of God. Notice the description he gives. Jasper, Ruby, were part of the throne room of God. And then he talks about an emerald rainbow that encircled the throne. Did you catch that? How many of you ever seen a rainbow? Let me see your hands. Seriously? Yeah, we've all seen a rainbow. What's the problem with most rainbows that you see? You catch a glimpse, right? Oh, there it is. And you got this little bit of it coming out from a cloud. Rarely do you see the whole half of a rainbow. One time, I saw it on my way up north. I was headed to the camp, and as I drove Strong's Road, I don't do that 123 to 28, and I, I cut through Strong's Road. And they had cleared out a bunch of trees one year. I don't know whether it was a fire, whether bugs had gotten in there and destroyed the trees, or whether it was just forestry, but there was a clearing, and I looked, and there was a rainbow, one end of it over here, and one end of it over here, and it was so overwhelming, I actually pulled my car over, and I got out, and I just looked at the rainbow, because I'd never seen one where I could see the beginning and the end, and I thought, maybe, maybe there is that pot of gold. No, it's not there. But do you notice how John describes the rainbow? It, what, encircles the throne. It encircles the throne. God sent a rainbow in the days of Noah to say, I won't judge the world like this again. And we have seen glimpses of it time and time again, but at some point you will see it in its entirety because what God begins, God finishes. What he starts, he ends. How many times have we already seen that I am the beginning and the end? I am the alpha and the omega. And what he starts, he finishes. And John sees the throne encircled in a rainbow. God is in the process of completing. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. 24 elders. John doesn't name them. John doesn't tell us who they are. We don't know. We can guess. We could surmise. Maybe it's the 12 tribes of Israel represented by those brothers and the 12 apostles. We're not sure. All we know is there's 24 thrones, 24 elders, 24 who have seen firsthand the faithfulness of God and evidently 24 who have remained faithful to God and they find themselves seated on these thrones. And there are peals of thunder, flashes of lightning, 
And sometimes the storms can be scary, right? But sometimes the storms can be awe-inspiring, can't they? Just incredible when you see the flashes of lightning. That is John as he describes this incredible scene, the throne room of God. You are getting an incredible view. An incredible view, and it just builds on the vision that was already a part of men in the Old Testament. The word throne is used 46 times in the book of Revelation. 46 times we hear the word throne. Why? Maybe it's because God is trying to imprint on our heart the fact that there is one who is sovereign over all. There is one who is King of kings and Lord of lords. There is one God of creation. He reigns the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we are catapulted into his presence as he sits on the throne. He talks about seven lamps that were blazing. Seven lamps blazing, seven lamps that were the spirit of God. John is getting, in essence, a view of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And to be honest, he's finding it hard to describe them. It's interesting that in the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, it says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. That branch will be a guy by the name of David. The city of David will be Bethlehem. David will be crowned king, and from that line will come the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And then Isaiah takes it a step further, and he says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. It's possible that what John is seeing, those spirits that Isaiah talked about in chapter 11, he talks about a sea of glass that reflects the brilliance of the whole scene. We actually, as part of the ladies' ministry on Thursday night, Water Within was here, but so was a young lady by the name of Reagan. And she works for a ministry called Crossroads Farm. And Crossroads Farm has, well, they kind of got their start actually from the fact that Reagan's mom and dad met at Hiawatha Youth Camp and fell in love and got married. And they've started this ministry that now Reagan is a part of. And I talked to her mom on Thursday. I said, I saw a couple pictures of you. Could, you. could you send one that you took at the lake? And she was up at the camp, and she took this picture that, uh, I think it's on Nary Lane. So there we go. 
She took this picture of the lake just as the colors were starting to come out. And the lake was still. Now, it's never like that when you want to go skiing. I'm just throwing that out there. It's only like that about 6 in the morning. But it is so clear that you could see not only the reflection of the color of the trees, you could see the reflection of the clouds above. It, th that doesn't even begin to describe it, but maybe you get just a glimpse of what John was seeing. This brilliance and a sea of glass that's reflecting all of this awe-inspiring beauty in the throne room of God. And then he says this, in the center around the throne were four living creatures. They were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second like an ox, the third had the face of a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the living creatures had six wings, and they were covered with eyes all around, even under their wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there is worship happening in heaven around the throne room of God. There is constant activity, and they are constantly saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we are invited, we in our finite state are invited to join them in praise and in worship and how often do we do it? Do we relegate it to a 15-minute segment on a Sunday morning? Or, or is it possible that we have determined, like Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that we will present our lives to God each and every day, and this will be our act of worship? We need to understand the importance of worship. We need to understand the importance of worship because John said you gotta be prepared. That's why he wrote this book. Not just prepared as far as knowing Christ. Not just prepared and like I am ready to head to heaven. Not just prepared by thinking somehow that eternity is gonna be a large cracker barrel and you're just gonna sit on a rocking chair on the porch 24-7, you will be part of worship. Oh, there's gonna be all kinds of stuff for you to be a part of. There's gonna be all kinds of stuff for you to be involved in. There's gonna be some work, in fact, that we do with passion and from our heart. Heaven is gonna be an incredible place. We'll talk a bit about it as we move through this, but one of the things we have to prepare ourselves for for eternity is the opportunity that we have right now to worship. And I am all for getting excited for the University of Michigan. I was thrilled that Big Ten football was back on the air. And I enjoyed watching all four sports when they came back on TV. And I look forward to the Lions again. Well, who really knows? But I enjoy all of that. My problem is when I get more excited over that than I get at the prospect of worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. 
then I think, I just wonder, is it possible that God has a slight problem when we get all excited over the politics of the day and we'll get all excited if our candidate wins a week from Tuesday and we'll get all discouraged if our candidate loses a week from Tuesday and we just follow the news 24-7 and our blood pressure goes up and down depending on how it flies and flows and somehow we've lost in all of it the opportunity to worship the one who says I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And whenever your country began and with whatever president was there and for however long it continues and with whatever president will be then, I am the one who is on the throne and I rule all of the earth. I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And by the way, you might as well join the ones that are praising and worshiping because all the time they're up here flying around saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Yeah, don't get started. Thanks for trying, though. You say, yeah, Billy, you're getting a little worked up. Yeah, I am. It does concern me that I'm starting to get old. And the problem with getting old is you realize that a lot of stuff you did when you were young just didn't mean a hill of beans. And when I think of some of the decisions I made, they were completely about me and had nothing to do with him. And to be honest, I'm glad he waited a little while to come because maybe I got just a little bit of time to stop putting my faith in the Red Wings and the Pistons and the Lions and the Tigers and stop putting my faith in the Wolverines and the Spartans and stop putting my faith in Trump and the Supreme Court and the Republican Party and stop putting my faith in Biden and Pelosi and the Democratic Party because the truth is all of them will be gone at some point and the only one that remains will be King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And right now, he has worship that is happening. And we are invited to be a part of that. And it concerns me that we have enjoyed church for a while, sitting on our lazy boy and eating our pancakes, and we have forgotten about the importance of engaging in the opportunity to worship. Because I'll be honest with you, when I was enjoying it at home, and we still have that opportunity. We still have people that necessarily they are at home watching online. And I totally get it. And I'm so glad we have this ministry. It's one of the things that God opened the door to. And so many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people all over the world, and I'm not evangelistically speaking, have tuned in to be part of the ministry and message of Calvary. And that is an awesome thing. But it concerns me because as the pastor, I know that I would sit there and sip my coffee during worship and not really sing and not really share. And if by chance I have relegated my worship experience to what I'm doing on Sunday morning, God gets an hour and a half of worship. Yet John says that in heaven right now, all the time, every moment of every day, they are continually flying around saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And we are invited to be part of that. And I am going to guarantee you, and you don't have to get excited. You don't have to change your views. You can somehow be led to believe that when we get to heaven, we will all look like we have been baptized in prune juice or lemon juice. But I'm going to tell you something. That's not the way it is.
And when we get to heaven, all of a sudden, your hand will fly. Every once in a while, you might even clap your hands because the worship will be so enthralling when we realize he really is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because we could count on that faithfulness, there we are face to face. All right, I got to quit. I'm starting to get hot. It's time to go. So the cool thing is, we got a few weeks that we could keep tackling re revelation. But I'll tell you something. You say, Billy, why are you getting so revved up? Because we've had such an opportunity this week as a church to minister to people. And so many people are lost without Christ. And it's as if he says, I'm keeping the door open. But when he says shortly, these things will come to pass. God's timing is not our timing. But all we can know from the book of Revelation is that when this roll starts to happen down the hill, there will be no stopping it. It will pick up speed and swiftly move. And a time where God has to judge the earth is coming. But right now, he continues to stand at the door and knock. And he invites those who don't know him to let him in. He doesn't want your religion, he wants a relationship. And he invites those of us who have known him. Stop relegating your worship to a few minutes on a Sunday and begin to understand that there are those who worship him all the time and we are invited to be part of it. Can I tell you, I gotta wrap up here. I worked on this message while I was here in the office and I actually went down the hall to make sure that nobody was there, you know? Sometimes my brother sneaks in, sometimes my brother even works in his office in the dark, so you have to go look in the window. I looked in Dan's office, he wasn't there. Nobody was in the council. Eric wasn't here, Kaylee wasn't here. I checked out in the parking lot, there were no cars. So I just turned my music on, I turned it up. And I sang as loud as I could with the songs that I knew. And for a few minutes I just had a worship experience. Not on a Sunday, just myself. I just had to experience some worship because there are times when I so desperately need God here, but there are times when I desperately need to get to God. And this year, maybe that's you. And he invites us to participate in that and be a part of it. Bow your heads together with me in prayer. Maybe you're here today, whether you're here at our campus or you're watching with us online, there's never been that moment when you have invited Christ to come into your heart and be your Lord and Savior. And I want to give you that chance right now. The verse that he shared with John with the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, he shares with you, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus is standing right now at your heart's door knocking and he just wants you to open the door and let him in. Let him come in. Jesus himself said, look, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. Give him that chance. 
Do you want to know that your sins are forgiven? Do you want to know that you're right with God? Do you want to know that your eternity is set with him in heaven? Then I want to invite you simply to pray this prayer in your heart after me. You don't need to say it out loud. He'll hear you. But if today you want to know that Christ lives in you, I want you to simply pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I do believe you love me. I believe you came and died and rose again for me. Come into my heart. Forgive my sin and save me. I make you the Lord of my life. If today you prayed that prayer here on our campus, would you just quietly, quickly just slip up your hand and put it down and say, yeah, that's me today, Billy. I prayed that prayer. I invited Christ to come into my life. Just slip it up and put it down. That's me today. I invited Christ to come into my life. Maybe you're watching with us online, and I can't see your hand, but God sees your heart. And actually, there's a little tab that's appeared on your screen, and if you'll just click that button, it says, today I committed my life to Christ. And before another hour has passed, I'll be looking at that, and I'll be praying for you. I may not know your name, but God does. And I'll be praying for this new relationship with him, that you'll have an even greater grasp of the enormity of the decision you just made. Oh, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that here we are 2,000 years later, and it is still just as powerful Father, forgive us that we talk a lot about revelation, but the truth is we, we don't. I don't. <laughs> I guess I should just speak for myself. I don't have quite a, as good a grip and an understanding of what's written there as I should. And Lord, I can see even as we have begun this study, it has opened my eyes to understanding the importance of worship that it is happening now and will happen for all eternity and you invite those who know you to be part of it. May we understand the difference that it can make in our lives. The fact that at times it'll be like you coming down to inhabit our praise, but at times, Lord, if we'll allow it, you will elevate us up so that we can see life from your perspective. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw you. Father, there are some here right now that in the year 2020, oh, they, they need to hear from you. They need to see you in a fresh way. And Lord, I pray for those today who, who invited you to come into their heart as Lord and Savior. I pray you do something tangible in their lives in the next few days to help them realize the importance of the decision they just made. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for meeting here with us today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You know, I'm going to try one more time, give you just an opportunity, because actually they're talking louder up there in heaven than that amen was down here. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you. There you go. Let's make worship part of every day this week and, uh, and make it happen.